Hey listeners, it's Paul Andriola here. Why not join our community at Small Cap Discoveries where we offer our members direct access to some of the best microcap investment opportunities available. Our members are getting access to premium microcap financings, research reports, and direct access to management. Sign up today at www.smallcapdiscoveries.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the Small Cap Discoveries conference call. Today on our call, we have the CEO, Jim Rakovich uh, from McCoy Global to give us an overview on the company. Uh, McCoy Global trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol MCB. It also trades on the OTC under MCCRF. The company is currently trading at $1.25 with about 28.5 million shares or about a $36 million market cap. I'd now like to hand it over to Paul Andriola. Hey, thanks a lot, Trevor. Um, really appreciate uh, Jim joining us today. I'm a quite global, uh, an oil service, uh, energy services. I think we'll get into all the different things you do, but um, very topical right now. It's a name that we've talked a lot about in our forums and in our other discussions. And I know a lot of our subscribers are shareholders. So really appreciate the time you're taking to, to join us today and to give us a presentation, um, which of course we see the screen uh, with the presentation ready to go. So Jim, I'm gonna hand it over to you. Well, thanks a lot, Paul, and uh, really appreciate the invitation uh, from both you and Trevor, and uh, uh, happy to spend some time this afternoon with you and your audience. Uh, so as an introduction to McCoy Global, we are a uh, Edmonton-based, Canadian-based, uh, publicly traded company, obviously, and uh, our operations, uh, for the most part, are based out of uh, the United States, both in Louisiana and Texas. And internationally, we have a uh, Eastern Hemisphere hub based out of uh, Jabal Ali, which is the uh, tax-free zone out just outside of Dubai. And that uh, team looks after all of our uh, Eastern Hemisphere. I'll get into that as part of the presentation. Um, so uh, just quickly, I put up the slide that talks about our financial uh, snapshot. And um, as, uh, as we, we talk about internally here, you know, we're, we've, we've been flying under the radar for some time, but we've, uh, one thing we've always prided ourselves in, 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 in McCoy is our, our maintenance of a very uh, stellar balance sheet. And as you can tell by our balance sheet, uh, as of the uh, disclosures we put out on Friday morning with our Q4 and year-end results, subsequent to the uh, year-end, we paid off uh, the little debt we had. We're sitting in a net, strong net cash position, no debt. We have the best backlog since we uh, since 2014, and uh, we're very excited about uh, the coming uh, the coming quarters and years. Uh, uh, with not only the tailwinds of the market behind us, but also uh, in particular, uh, what we'll talk about is our technology uh, roadmap that we've been uh, executing on for the last three years. And uh, we are at a more exciting uh, stage of that uh, development and getting into the adoption, market adoption phase. And we'll talk more about that as well. So introduction, we're, uh, as I described, uh, we're located, uh, we operate globally. We ship product on the average to 50 countries a year, uh, anywhere uh, that they're uh, drilling for oil and gas, we have an opportunity to participate both land and offshore. 
as I described in Dubai, it's a, if you can, if you look at the, the chart where we're generating our revenue, it is a critical part of our, our business, the Eastern Hemisphere. So in our Dubai hub, uh, we have a distribution warehouse. We have technical support for our customers in the entire Eastern Hemisphere. And uh, we have a rental fleet of equipment that we uh, deploy in that market and, uh, and also distribute new technologies and products to our customers. We have a, a sales and marketing group that looks after all of that, uh, those, those regions. And uh, it is the hot area for us and has been for some time. We've been operating out of that region, particularly the Middle East, North Africa for well over 20 years. So we have a very large installed base with our customers. And as you'll see in future slides, that uh, installed base is an important part of our, our, um, main, our, our sustainable revenue stream that comes off of aftermarket. Uh, and we'll talk about that. And so we've, uh, we're, we're actually more of a, a technology and equipment provider to our customers. We do provide technical support and service, but we don't run casing. Our customers do that. And we, uh, uh, our job is to provide them with the best, safest, uh, most efficient technologies, whether it's data acquisition or hardware to do their job efficiently. We have some wonderful customers around the world, both on the land and offshore applications. Um, just to make it clear to the audience, you know, what is uh, tubular running services, uh, every well, uh, whether it's horizontal, vertical, whether it's uh, uh, whatever hydrocarbon that well is uh, being drilled for, gas, uh, oil, or any other liquid, uh, whether it's offshore or land application, every well is cased with steel pipes that are uh, screwed together. And they, if you did a cross-section of a well, that's in production, uh, it, the, all of that pipe will look like a telescope. You can start at the surface with 31 inch diameter tubular. And by the time they get to the pay zone, uh, you know, many tens of thousands of meters away, uh, you'll end up with a production tubular that's maybe only three and a half inch in diameter. Uh, all of the, that casing is cemented in the well and uh, the integrity of the well bore is dependent on every threaded connection that's made in that uh, in that casing, uh, that it's done correctly, safely, and it's got the integrity to not leak. So we are our primary customer base or service companies, companies that run casing for a living. Uh, they'll either get hired by the drilling contractor, but more often by the uh, EMP company. Uh, we also sell to uh, uh, and uh, provide services to uh, drilling contractors. There are times, uh, both land and offshore, where drilling contractors in specific regions will run their own casing. And then uh, our third customer base is thread manufacturers like Tenaris and BAM and uh, uh, other OEMs like uh, HMH, who was previously known out of Norway as MH Worth, and National Oil Well Varco. So those companies uh, like uh, HMH and NOV, uh, particularly when it comes to offshore application, uh, we are um, we stand alone in providing some of the uh, most robust, large, uh, high torque equipment that have to be integrated into the automated uh, rig packages for offshore rigs, and we have not only the expertise but the engineering uh, horsepower to be able to. Uh, complete those types of large uh, projects uh, with our customers. 
tubular running services, I described it. Here's a schematic uh, cross-section of what it could look like. And yes, every, every well has um, 40 foot lengths of pipe that are all screwed together for miles uh, underground and uh, cemented in. And uh, our job is to uh, uh, provide the technology so that, uh, again, our customers can do that job efficiently and provide we provide not only mechanical equipment but real-time data acquisition technologies as well so we're ideally positioned these are the three points that are really important for the audience is uh you know what's changed why you know why are we growing why is uh, mccoy you know what makes us stand out from the crowd with our competitors is uh, first of all, our international presence and footprint, like I described before, gives us a very strong advantage in the market. Uh, in the Middle East in particular, uh, we're seeing a lot of national oil companies that are looking for independence from the lar large, uh, you know, uh, Western uh, uh, service companies, and uh, they want to start providing their own services. People like uh, Adnoc out of the United Arab Emirates, you know, they five years ago, they never had any rigs. They would hire drilling contractors and, and service companies and expertise to come do all that work. They have over a hundred rigs now of their own and they're, they announced not that long ago, they're starting to uh, enter into the tubular running service business themselves. So in the Middle East and North Africa, uh, national oil companies uh, want to have more control over the, the full value chain of from uh, exploration to production uh, of their uh, of their resources in their countries, respective countries, and we're well situated to be able to participate and take advantage. And uh, one of the most important aspects of you know why is it besides us being there and having a great brand and install base uh, in a in in one of the slides coming up, you'll see that we are we have competitors in each individual technology. But when it comes to being able to provide the whole package of the, 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 the group of technologies required to have a casing running uh, package to be able to complete the jobs, we have the full integrated packages. We can, we can, we can provide those customers and with all of what they need to, to complete a contract. So that uh, those customers uh, much prefer to be able to buy uh, all of their all of their equipment and technologies from at a one-stop shop and not only that but have us in the local region providing technical support and training um, the next uh, trend that's important is the lack of reliable and skilled labor and this is driving increased demand for automation in the casing running business and every other aspect of uh, the oil and gas industry i think it's probably well known by everybody in this audience that labor access to to labor uh, in not only the oil and gas industry but uh, many other markets is very get becoming more difficult to find particularly since covid and in our industry a lot of people retired during that period of time that had a lot of expertise and attracting the next generation of casing hands and and uh, uh, drilling uh, crews and roughnecks they're just getting so much harder to find and nobody wants to do that kind of work anymore. So uh, the biggest complaint we heard from customers over the last five to eight years is, is uh, uh, the biggest challenge they have consistently is, and is getting worse, is recruiting, training and retaining people. And in the casing running business in the US and the Permian Basin, for example, 60% of the cost of running casing is labor. 
So we've been we embarked on a on a journey that we'll talk about to uh, help our customers by reducing the headcount of the requirement for casing crews by automating a lot of these technologies and developing an integrated uh, tubular running package that uses uh, sensors and smart technologies and uh, uh, takes away uh, uh, many of the uh, requirements for not only the headcount and the people, but also the expertise that, uh, that uh, traditionally they would use experience to uh, make decisions. And so they're looking for more data-driven to my third point, uh, decision-making uh, uh, decision technologies rather than having some expert um, who's got a lot of experience decide whether it's a good connection or a bad connection. We've believed for some time that that should be, software should be making those decisions. And uh, we're, we're getting close to that, uh, to that uh, sweet spot uh, soon. Just a quick overview of um, what we've been doing since we embarked on the journey uh, to uh, go after that 1 billion annual labor cost savings uh, globally, both uh, uh, land and offshore is uh, we acquired a company from uh, Payson Systems in 2017 called 3PS based out of Cedar Park, Texas, which is a suburb of Austin. And their expertise in that business is collecting data in harsh environments. They not only, uh, this was a critical acquisition at the right time because uh, we were, we knew we were going to embark on automating a lot of the processes for casing running, uh, which is a procedure we knew tremendously well and have a lot of deep knowledge about. Uh, but the 3PS folks, uh, they their expertise is how to get that data and how do you uh, turn that into uh, uh, software and uh, uh, and start to uh, create machine learning software, et cetera. So they also at that time were a competitor of ours in uh, one of our technologies, our Torx sub technology. And so the, the way it turned out, it was a great acquisition. We took out our main competitor in one of our com uh, product lines. But what was most important to our plans over the future in our tech roadmap was that we needed some different expertise to add on to our mechanical engineering expertise. And that was the electrical guys, the sensor bit. We didn't have that in-house. And so that, uh, uh, that core competency became part of McCoy at that point. And then after that, we, um, we needed to uh, address how we were going to get a casing running tool technology into the organization. In order to automate this process, we needed to move from our core product line at the time, which is hydraulic power tongs, a mechanical tool, to the latest generation of uh, new technology for running casing off the top drive of a rig, and that's called a casing running tool. This is a mechanical internal tool that goes inside the casing, grips it, and turns it. And we had tried prior to that to work around the two companies that were in the market around the IP and we were struggling. And, um, but we got very, it was, we were very fortunate in 2019, uh, one of the, uh, one of the two players who have, who had good IP and a, and a, and an early ent entrant in a product into the market, but was a small company uh, called Drawworks out of Bowling, Texas. We were able to acquire that business from the owner and um, that was another key milestone uh, to, uh, to completing our tech roadmap. 
And then after that, we launched our, what we call our virtual thread rep, first digital product to be able to do all of the torque turn monitoring, the data acquisition. So we do two things with this product uh, that we monitor the, uh, the makeup of the threads as, as it goes on live. And then the second thing is our software takes over the final makeup so that no, a human can't make the error and not over torque or under torque the connection. Our software makes the decision when to stop the tool from turning and make the connection in exactly the specified uh, torque that the uh, OEM of the pipe uh, insists on. So uh, now with a virtual thread rep, we are able to do that remotely. Historically, the most expensive person on a casing crew was the person that ran that tool. And uh, that person uh, was on every crew and uh, used a lot of decision-making and, um, uh, had the most experience. Now our customers can run three or four jobs from an office remotely, and uh, all of these uh, this uh, digital product can you can manage that remotely. And then if you need uh, somebody like uh, Tenaris, the thread rep to make a decision, even if that individual is not sure and wants the menu OEM to look at the connection uh, graph, they can log in off their phone from Starbucks and look at it and and talk about it, have a chat on the on software, and away they go. And then um, uh, in 2022, last year was a pretty important year, is, is taking all that effort and design and development time that we did over that, that period of time and through COVID and uh, start to uh, get, get through the uh, field trial process of the tech, individual technologies of the equipment that we've made smart. And then um, we start to receive our first orders late in the year. And so 2023, what's the, what's the big deal in 2023? Well, we got, we're working on market adoption uh, for the, our, our current uh, commercial uh, products. And then we have a project in the US where we're, put, we've, we're putting together the, the fully integrated package that's fully automated. Uh, and we're working with a partner customer out of Pennsylvania and, uh, by the end of this year, uh, everything going right, we expect to have the first fully automated, uh, smart, uh, integrated casing running technology running pipe in the U.S. And uh, so 2023 is adoption year, and uh, we're pretty excited about it. Those first three or four years of development are hard, but uh, this is where we got to get to have fun now. So as I described, we do have competitors in various individual product lines, some with a few more products than others, but we have the full suite of uh, products uh, that we can do a complete package with. I'll give you an example. We had a customer a year and a half ago, Turkish Petroleum. They always outsourced all of their casing running to a company called Weatherford, and they decided they've got their own rigs now for offshore Turkey, and this is the uh, National Oil Company. And they decided to run their own casing and they came to McCoy and we were able to put a, the complete package together. And today they're running casing. We train them uh, uh, and uh, they have all our equipment and uh, it's pretty exciting because um, now we have a customer for a long period of time. And as they grow, we'll help them. Break away from cart uh, from our competition with smart technologies. Uh, you know, I won't spend the time reading all the lines to you, but yeah, increased data-driven uh, decisions, uh, decision-making. I've already talked 
uh, quite a bit about that and uh, what the value proposition is. Reliable autom automation and digitization of casing running, that has to happen. And um, uh, they, need, they need, from a safety perspective, wellbore integrity, and the, the absolute labor savings is, uh, is just, uh, it's just uh, uh, the opportunity is just too big to ignore. And then the lack of reliable and skilled labor, I've talked about that already. So where do we, um, what do we sell uh, in, a, in a little uh, a better, uh, closer look at our product lines and then what, you know, what's our biggest product lines and where do we make the most money? So parts, accessories, dyes, and inserts. It's a significant part of our revenue. And uh, why is this important? If you recall, I described, I kept going, reverting back to the phrase uh, installed base. When you sell large packages and we have the installed base with many clients in the Middle East, Eastern Hampshire, US, wherever we, wherever we have clients in the world, this equipment gets used, it gets abused, it's in the field, they need replacement parts, they need maintenance uh, parts, they need uh, dyes and inserts. And, uh, and service, they, they need our service. Sometimes they send our stuff to us to get re refurbished. So parts uh, and accessories and dyes and inserts, uh, we call that our, our, our aftermarket. It's a critical, and that's a repetitive revenue stream. You know, for every dollar of revenue that we sell, you can, you can imagine we're gonna get for, uh, we're gonna get 40 cents of uh, aftermarket. Uh, is, is that's how, how high it's represented and it's higher margin. Uh, I always like to compare the old Johnny Cash song. If you build a Cadillac one piece at a time, it costs you a fortune. It's kind of the same with the, with the piece of equipment that we sell. If you buy all the individual parts, you wouldn't be able to afford the tool, but the aftermarket business is a good business for us. And it's got, you know, really good margin. Hydraulic power tongs was our core business. And same with breakout units and, and uh, uh, bucking units. But the, that technology is there's a lot of competitors and um, there's a, uh, it's hard to differentiate yourself. There's not a lot of IP in that space anymore. So it's a, uh, it's a competitive market. So our, we do sell it. It's part of our offering. It's part of the packages that people need. They can't do everything with the casing running tool. Uh, but um, it is, a, it is a competitive market. Uh, sales and rental, our rental business has increased significantly over the last five years. Six, eight, 10 years ago, nobody rented this kind of equipment in this industry. They always wanted to own it. And now it's the, the market's changed. The capital allocation that our customers are making decisions on uh, often do not include purchasing everything for a single contract. So we entered into the uh, rental business, both for our data acquisition technologies and our capital equipment. And I'm happy to say we've been growing it year over year. Uh, we are a bit conservative. We like to have good paybacks on our rental fleet and uh, it's, uh, it's done quite well. So we're pretty happy with where the trend, not only on the growth of our rental business and service business, but also on the uh, uh, on the contribution margin uh, from, from those endeavors. Case and running tools and handling tools, it's a small but growing. Remember, we acquired that business when it was a very small business uh, that had the case and running tool technology, but we've been gaining market share year over year. And I'm happy to say when you look at our backlog that we have today, case and running tools 
is now a very key part of that. I, I'm looking forward to updating our our percentage of revenue in 2023 when the year ends. And I, I think you'll see that number uh, quite a bit stronger. And of course the margins are better. And then data acquisition and sensors. Uh, I don't wanna miss the fact that we do, on a previous slide, we have a brief description of our sensor business. 3PS, when we acquired it, they do have a sensor business that, and that was the birth of their company, was providing, uh, 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 providing data in harsh environments and um, we sell, uh, we still have that sensor business. It's small, but very profitable. So we sell into the uh, aerospace industry, nuclear, uh, military, uh, and uh, uh, construction uh, cranes, for example. So we have, we have customers in those markets that are a traditional part of 3PS's business. So recent, recent initiatives crystallize the value of the company's real estate. Uh, we made an announcement uh, just before Christmas that we uh, did a sale and lease back. When we acquired 3PS from Payson, it included the land and buildings. And um, uh, the uh, real estate market uh, improved significantly from the time we acquired 3PS to when we sold the land and buildings last year. So we made a sizable gain that we announced on the sale and lease back. And, so we're pretty happy with that to monetize that. We, we're not in the real estate business. We would, we would rather monetize that, take the gain uh, while it's available. And then um, we signed a five-year lease, not a long-term lease, and um, with an option to renew. And uh, we're going to be able to deploy that capital, uh, hopefully uh, in areas that can give us a nice return. And we introduced a return on capital uh, target as a component management incentive plan. Uh, Alex Rizkov who's on the call. He's one of our directors and also chair of our newly formed uh, capital allocation and strategy uh, committee with a board of directors. And so Alex and I work closely together and he works with our, with our team and uh, you know, our, you know, our view of the world going forward and uh, will continue to be as uh, you know, where can we deploy the shareholders capital and get the absolute best return? And uh, because we've got to do better than our cost of capital. And um, position and that will help us position the company to achieve double digit returns on invested capital through the cycle. And of course, the real uh, strategic priority this year, as I've described a few times is to achieve the successful commercialization and adoption. To me, this year's adoption of the smart technologies. And that is my last slide. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, I hope I didn't get too carried away there. No, 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 no. That was perfect. I uh, appreciate it. Um, the, uh, we, we didn't sort of talk about um, addressable market, like give, give us a sense. I mean, it sounds like you cover a, a couple of different areas within uh, drilling and, and um, you know, services, but what, how can we define the, the market that you're really after in terms of, you know, dollars? So the, the total, uh, the total market, you know, we showed you the labor piece, um, but obviously now that the market is improved, the size of the tubular running service uh, business has increased. So globally, if you wanted to put an estimate on what's the global tubular running service market right now, 
it's probably two and a half billion dollars a year, maybe three now. And that's both offshore and land. So that includes the revenue that the tubular running service companies are generating uh, and all of the people that provide technologies and services and things like we do. So that total market is that size. Um, when it comes to what's the addressable market for McCoy, it's probably like immediate, immediate addressable market. If we had, if we got a hundred percent of, of the Bucky units and the tongs and the CRTs and the uh, technologies, it's well over half a billion dollars. Fantastic. Um, and how do you, how do you, um, the, the way I view this is that there's a lot of innovative technology that you're applying to, I, I almost call it a cyclical industry. So it's not, you, you, to some degree, you're at the mercy of the cycle, but you're, you know, there's new adoption, there's new, you're, you're likely taking market share away from sort of standard practices. Is that the right way to look at this? It is. So if you think about our project that I described in Pennsylvania, you've got, you've got the entire US land market, say arguably 750 rigs today uh, active. The rig counts, if, you know, the rig counts kind of drive how much casings they are. Mm -hmm. So uh, right now, uh, nobody has a integrated casing running package to deal with all this labor issues and all that cost. So we believe that uh, once uh, we are able to prove the uh, efficiency and the, and the cost savings to our to, to that market, um, I don't think you, unless you have that packet that integrated package, you, I don't know how you're going to be able to compete. Uh, and so, no, we'll have to build that uh, uh, we'll have to build that portfolio of packages in that market to accommodate the growth and the adoption. Uh, but we, we think the opportunity is substantial, assuming, assuming A, everything works exactly how we expect it to work, that we can provide the efficiency that we expect to provide, and that uh, the customers are going to be able to recognize the savings in, in labor costs. Uh, they'll be able to be the most, who has that will be the most competitive, and we'll be able to take away, you know, the market share from everybody doing it the traditional way. Mm -hmm. And I, the way I'm, I've got, I, but we'll, yeah. we'll we'll happily replace their uh, their kit. Yeah, the the way I sort of got in my mind is that if if the industry slows down, there's the there's sort of the demand for cost savings everywhere. But if it speeds up, there's the demand for labor that you guys sort of solve. So it's you kind of win a little bit no matter what happens within the industry. Is that is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Um, okay, let's let's talk about your financials a little bit. I mean, you had a record year, um, really strong uh, end to the year here. Um, you, you know what what uh, well what drove it? You sort of explained what drove it, but sort of what what happens next? You guys are sitting on a fair bit of cash. Um, uh, you know, obviously your your capital allocation uh, expert uh, that's with us is going <laughs> to determine that somewhat, but. But what, you know, sort of give us an idea of what a company like you, yours does with, with cash. What do you do next? So we look at, you know, there's various buckets we can deploy capital. So the, uh, the first thing we look at is our business and, you know, where can we deploy capital to grow and improve and make our business better and improve shareholder value and uh, generate more revenue, more margin, all that kind of stuff. So. Um, you know, one of the ways we did, we, uh, we looked at 
you know, strong deployment of capital three or four years ago was our technology roadmap. I would, I would say to the, your, you and the audience is that the largest bulk of our, our capital required for the tech roadmap development has been, has been deployed. So, you know, we're, we're on the tail end of that now. So we don't need our balance sheet to fund uh, the tech roadmap to the finish line, some, but it's pretty much, you know, we, we can handle that through cash flow. So um, the, uh, the other area that we can certainly deploy capital into the business is by looking for tuck-in uh, or other uh, acquisitions. Uh, you know, we, we've built McCoy and this part of our business, this core business on both organic growth and acquisitions. So, you know, oddly enough, we did two acquisitions during the last, during the last downturn. They were both strategic, but the timing was really good from a valuation perspective. And so uh, we're fortunate to still have the balance sheet. And so part of what Alex is doing, uh, working with closely with me is we're looking for those opportunities to deploy capital and add value to the business and uh, see if we can uh, uh, do some growth in that manner. So then after that, if, uh, if, if we can't find homes or we have excess cash above uh, deploying it in the business organically or through strategic acquisitions, we, uh, uh, we certainly believe our stock is undervalued. So another area that we can deploy is buy, share buybacks. So we're happy to do that. And then the other area is uh, that we would look at is dividends. You know, at some point you can't sit on cash forever. That's uh... Cash is good, but uh, you know sometimes it's nice to get some back to shareholders. I agree. Yeah. Um, I would say, know, Alex, those are the four buckets. <laughs> is Alex uh, gonna gonna chime in here? Um, yeah, no, I, I think I think Jim Jim covered it. Um, I just I will just point out that uh, in our uh, press release, we did state that we're planning on introducing. Um, you know, on the ballot at the next AGM, a provision to reduce our stated capital that would allow us to pay a regular dividend. Um, and so, you know, we, we wouldn't have done that if we didn't think that we'd be able to do all of the sort of above, if you want, uh, in terms of looking for organic growth, potentially looking at acquisitions that meet our return hurdle and also begin returning capital to shareholders. Mm -hmm. Okay, fantastic. Um, you know what, uh, Jim, um, we, we talked a little bit about the, the industry outlook uh, before we came, uh, before we went live. Maybe let's talk a little bit about, clearly there's uncertainty, there's always uncertainty, I guess, in this in this industry, but, um, you know, oil prices are off their high, um, there's, you know, global issues, there's banking issues now, there's all sorts of things, but from, from the inside, from an industry insider, what, what, what can you tell us outsiders, uh, your sort of expected outlook uh, you know, the industry in general, and then a little bit more specific to, to maybe the trends you're seeing for your business? It's a, gr it's a great question. And uh, there's, um, there's some specifics, um, reg both regionally and, uh, uh, and by commodity. So um, we, because we have a global perspective and we operate and sell to customers around the world, I would say that um, uh, we're pretty convinced that the, uh, the supply of uh, hydrocarbons, uh, uh, in spite of the trend to have a you know have decarbonized the world, uh, the demand 
uh, is you know is is just over 100 million barrels a day as we as we sit here, and what we've what we've experienced, particularly internationally and in places like the Middle East, in spite of the additional capital that's being deployed, and it's and and that is committed capital, uh, the ability to maintain even maintain production at the levels historically is being is becoming much more difficult. So much more uh, drilling and uh, uh, activity towards uh, exploration is going to have to continue. Uh, offshore is another great example. You know, we're starting to see a resurgence. Transocean's got the biggest back biggest backlog since 2014 as well. And the re one of the reasons is there's been almost nothing done in offshore uh, during the downturn. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it is uh, big capital uh, uh, gambles, but you know, you got to build reserves, and some of the biggest reserves in the world are generally deep water offshore. So we're starting to see an uptick there, and I, we don't expect, in spite of all of the noise around recession and all of this, uh, you know, banks and uh, uh, interest rates. Uh, We've had such a lag in in uh, capital being deployed in uh, in this market for a while now, and it's going to have to uh, somebody's going to have to uh, uh, keep turning the bit in order to just maintain uh, the levels of production that the globe needs. So China's come out of all of their COVID restrictions, so they're going to start consuming more and more and more. And uh, we saw what happened in Europe with the conflict with Russia and Ukraine. And um, the United States, you know, they were the uh, swing producer and that's gone back, I think, to the Middle East. And so in the U.S., uh, the capital, what's different? You know, one of the questions is what's different from the last swings uh, turns? And what one of the things that's big, for, there's two things to me that are very different. One of them is interest rates. Mm -hmm. So that has a big impact on deploying capital because you can't get it. And then the second is... Um, the discipline on capital allocation that the E&P companies, particularly in the U.S., have been displaying. So the shareholders won't put up with another 10-year run and then come out at the end with nothing. So uh, the percentage of capital that's generated uh, that gets uh, returned to shareholders is much bigger than it used to be. And that discipline, I, it looks like it's holding no matter what. So... I think those differences uh, suggest that for us at McCoy and for others, our activity level is going to is going to at least maintain itself, and we feel pretty confident with that. And then, with our new technologies and our global footprint, we're in, we're well positioned to weather the storm. And we're fortunate, you know. We we historically, if you look back, we we've been a bit conservative because of you know this. It, we have cycles in this business. You can get caught. So we've generally always wanted to be prepared for when the cycle turns the other way. And, uh, and in many cases, we've been able to take advantage of that because of our balance sheet and do some strategic acquisitions like we did and still invest in organic growth like we did. Mm -hmm. uh, Jimmy, you, just, you mentioned a whole bunch of challenges sort of facing the industry let's talk specifically about your company. What, what challenges do you guys face or, or more or less what, what keeps you up at night? Right now, well, we had our board meeting on Thursday and 
I, um, I think I spent most of my time when it, when I talked about, uh, you know, what's keeping me at night awake at night and it's still supply chain. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we need to produce this stuff and have, uh, you know, better lead times than our competitors and all that kind of things. And, uh, it, the supply chain is not fixed yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, some of the, we use, uh, in, in a lot of the equipment that us and our competitors sell, we don't use just standard uh, iron or metal or steel. There's exotic steels. There's forgings. There's uh, uh, you know our our components are made from uh, a variety of raw material, and um, it's been challenging. Um, so uh, a lot our competitors are having the same issue, but you know getting lead times down, and it's all it's not because we can't you know assemble the stuff and test it and ship it. Uh, the shipping challenge, the logistics, by the way, has gotten a hell of a lot better than a year ago. So we're able to get containers and we're able to air freight stuff and uh, we're able to um, uh, costs uh, for, for freight have come down a bit. But uh, it's the supply chain has been because um, the reason it makes makes your hair gray is uh, because, uh, you know, a lot of the supply chain issues their weekly battles and they come, some of them come without warning. Mm -hmm. oh, by the way, what I was going to ship you next week, it's going to be another six weeks. So, you know, then, then it screwed everything up. But I would say that's what keeps me awake at night. But we're, we got a great team behind it and we're, it's a bit of still firefighting. Right. Right. Gotcha. Um, I'll take this uh, minute here just to remind everybody if you got questions that you'd like me to ask uh, Jim. Uh, just use the chat function and I'll, I'll do my best to, to ask the question. Um, okay, let's switch over a little bit to the, the stock side of things. 28 and a half million shares outstanding. Um, let's talk about the makeup of the shareholder base right now. Um, insider ownership, what, what sort of percentage is owned by insiders? Roughly about 10%. 10%, okay. Um, and uh, the, the, the balance, where, where do you think it's, I mean, it's a small micro cap company right now. Do you have institutional following or is there any strategic owners or any, anything you can tell us about, uh, about the balance of the, uh, the ownership? Yeah, the, uh, you know, our next uh, uh, management information circular will be out in April. But uh, if you look, even look at last year's, but, and then uh, our, lar our new largest shareholder uh, did a filing uh, recently. So, uh, Canal Capital out of Wyoming is our largest shareholder now, 16.2%. But uh, Canal's been in the story for several years, but and has now recently grown that position from about 12.5%. Uh, we have uh, three other large institutional shareholders that have been in the story for various lengths, but most, you know, all of them for three years plus. That's uh, uh, two Canadian companies, two Canadian institutions in the U.S. They're again, they're in our MIC. Fidelity out of Boston, still in at you know twelve and a half, thirteen percent, and we got Burgundy Asset Management, who's down to about thirteen point three, and then um, Ewing Morris is our uh, they're rated at thirteen ish percent as well. Mm -hmm. So those four hold a big chunk of McCoy. Yeah, <laughs> it starts to add up really quickly. Um, Jim, now I, I don't recall. Are you the founder of the company, or were you? Did you come in after the fact? I hope not, because the company was formed in 1914. 
<laughs> oh my goodness okay <laughs> yeah yeah um far far too young to, to well. maybe your great 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 grandparent or something yeah <laughs> so, uh it's an interesting story i'll just quickly tell you uh yeah in, uh, in 1914 henry mccoy opened up a blacksmith shop in edmonton alberta and that's you know it's a true story in the third generation they were always in industrial and being in Alberta, a lot of oil patch related products and right. springs and trailers, and but a lot of related to oil patch. But the third generation McCoy's uh, brothers, two brothers, the company was called McCoy Brothers, uh, sold the company in 1995 uh, to a, uh, a small private equity group out of Edmonton. Uh, uh, and then they IPO'd it in 1996. 1996. Okay. CEO in 2002. 2002. I gotcha. Perfect. Um, excellent. Well, um, I got a couple questions that came in, so I'm going to fire these off and uh, see if uh, see how you answer them here. Um, so one question is uh, related to the cost savings. Approximately, how much cost savings can your clients expect using your integrated package? How do you, how do you frame that? Well, you know, I, I like to be a bit conservative. So if you if you consider whatever the dollar value is of a contract in the U.S., and I said that we're, we're, we, are, we know that now from the data from uh, our customers is that, you know, in 55, 60% of that cost is labor. Mm -hmm. We don't think we can eliminate 100% of that labor, but we can eliminate probably 75% of it. Wow. Okay. Okay. So significant. Yeah. So instead of eight or nine guys uh, on the casing crew, we should be able to get it down to two, maybe three. Wow. Okay. Wow. That, that's a lot more significant than I thought. That, that's impressive. Um, and the other question from the same individual here, uh, exit strategy. Um, what, uh, how do you position this company for the future? Are, are you looking at some point selling it or, or, you know, is this going to be around for another hundred years plus? <laughs> <laughs> well, none of us know the answer to that. Um, <laughs> we, um, uh, we, we, we did, it's public. We went through a process uh, just over a year ago. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, not a lot was happening on the M&A side and uh, it was unsuccessful. But um, in this industry, uh, the M&A, uh, Consolidation and M&A activity compared to pre-2014 and prior, where there was always a lot of activity, mm. uh, it uh, it it was like quiet and it was there was not a lot of consolidation. And I think last year was a good example where the market started to turn, but all of those that would be consolidators or acquirers, they um, the strategic guys in particular, they were 100% focused on reducing debt, cleaning up their balance sheet as the market was getting better, but they had some work to do mm -hmm. to clean up their balance sheets, uh, focus on debt reduction, focus on share buybacks and getting, you know, all of us had laid off a lot of people and reduced costs. And, and so they were, most companies were much more focused on that. And, and I think there was, you know, people were still gun shy and the market at this time last year, we weren't sure we we're going to be where we are today. We have no idea it was going to be the, you know, if you'd asked me this time last year, are you going to have the best backlog in 12 months from now, like, like you had in 2014, I'd have said, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but now we know. So um, 
I think we're seeing more activity on the M&A side and uh, a little bit more on the um, consolidation. So look, it, we're a small micro cap, but we do very well. We're, we're, we've got very excellent products, great team. And, uh, you know, that's, we're for sale every day. Mm. I like to say. That's, so, a, that's, that's a good way of saying it, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whether uh, somebody uh, decides over the next two, three years that uh, McCoy is a good acquisition target, well, whatever, whatever happens, you know, we don't have control over that. So uh, uh, there's no definitive finish line to this thing. Our job is, uh, as my job as CEO and the job of our team, management team is to run the best company and do everything we can to increase shareholder value. Mm -hmm. And then yep. whatever happens outside of that, it'll happen. Exactly. Perfect answer. Um, okay. A couple more things before we wrap up, just it, it, as, as investors watching from the outside, what, what sort of you think are the key metrics or maybe even catalysts that we should be watching out for to, to really determine how well you guys are, you know, on track. Right. Well, I think when you look at, um, you know, I don't think that the, the audience should be too concerned about our ability to generate revenue. Sometimes, you know, when, when you're in the business of actually producing products and shipping, uh, quarter to quarter, that can be lumpy sometimes, but just look at our backlog. And I would, my metric to, you know, are they sustaining and growing their backlog? Uh, that's important because that that's our future, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so backlog is important metric for, for us. And the other thing is watch for the news on our, uh, on our technology roadmap and our, and our um, milestones. Perfect. And then lastly, Jim, is there anything we haven't covered uh, that, that uh, we should have talked about or barring that, um, you know, a key takeaway, something you want to make sure everybody walks away with today? Well, I think whatever, one of the things I'm always proud of, and we, you know, I, I, I don't even know if I mentioned it much, but um, in this, in the market that we're in, um, we have a very um, well, uh, well understood and, and uh, acknowledged in the industry core competency. So when we look at our competitors, if you look at our engineering resources and our deep knowledge of the actual application of what we do, the application uh, knowledge of uh, casing running is, uh, is something that we, we have a lot of expertise in this organization. So, and then when you look at what we went through since 2015 and then the COVID time, what I'm really proud of is all of our core team, our critical core team of, of, uh, of people in this organization, uh, they're still here. And so uh, I always believe that uh, investing in, in, uh, in companies that have um, strong um, and very competent and capable teams that, that stick with it um, that's, that's a, that's a big deal. They'll, they'll find a way to make it happen. They, you know, we, um, the success, success of the company for them, they take it personally. Yeah. No, it's, it always, always, always comes down to good people. That's yeah. How that always works. Um, well, listen, this has been fantastic. I, I hope everybody's, uh, you know, gotten out of it as much as I have today. Uh, Jim, I want to thank you. Um, we've been speaking with CEO, Jim Reykjavich. Uh, McCoy Global and Alex uh, joined us as well, a member of the board. Thank you, Alex. 
Um, Sybil MCB on the TSX, um, I think we, uh, we, we certainly want to keep up to date and hopefully we can catch you back uh, in the not too distant future. Yeah. Thank Pre you. Appreciate the time. You got it.